My next guests are Bob Hum, U.S. Head of Factor ETFs at BlackRock, and Hitendra Varsani, Managing Director of MSCI Solutions Research. Of course, BlackRock offers the iShares lineup of ETFs, the largest ETF issuer in the world. And here in the U.S., they currently have nearly 400 ETFs with over $2.1 trillion in assets. Now, MSCI is a premier provider of indexes and portfolio construction, along with risk management tools and research. And both Bob and Hitendra are now on the line with me. Bob, Hitendra, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Okay, so look, we're going to focus on factor investing this week. And I should note, BlackRock currently offers 44 factor-based ETFs in the U.S., about $160 billion in assets. But I think this is an extremely timely topic because we're clearly seeing a shift in terms of which factors are working right now. I, I think the value factor is probably exhibit A when you look at the performance spread between value and growth this year. But there are others. And I think if you consider the macro backdrop with inflation and rising rates, the bottom line is that a growing number of investors are considering whether they should look at some uh, factor tilts in a portfolio versus simply allocating to a broad ba- broad-based market cap-weighted index. So let, let's start with a few basics here, and then I do want to ask each of you about some specific factors. And, and Bob, I'll start with you. I always like to offer some context on the topics I cover. So how do you like to describe factor investing? Like how should advisors and investors think about this high level? Yeah, Nate. Uh, well, thanks again for, for having me today. And, and I think it's a really good question because, you know, factors have grown tremendously over the last decade. But I think a lot of investors and, and, and some advisors maybe don't have a, a good understanding of what factors are. And so the way that I like to think about factors, I think of them as rules-based, transparent, active. Right, we're take, trying to take strategies that active management using their entire careers like value, quality, and momentum and putting them in the ETF vehicle for more tax efficiency and lower cost, that's it. And so the way that I liken it is, is actually to Uber. And so, Nate, uh, you don't have to answer this, but you know, I don't know if you've flown in LaGuardia recently, but it's a pretty terrible experience. I, I've done it and before. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, incredibly awful, uh, and, and it's, it's somehow it gets worse uh, over the years. Um, but if you, if you look 10 years ago, it actually was, it was worse than today. And Why? Because when I land in LaGuardia at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night, it w- I'd wait in an hour-long cab line, and it would cost me about $150 to get to my apartment in New York City. You know, what did I do two weeks ago? When I landed in LaGuardia, I called an Uber. Within two minutes, a car is waiting for me, and it's half the cost. Right? Uber didn't change how I get from LaGuardia to my apartment. It just makes it lower cost, more efficient, exactly what we're trying to do with factory ETFs. Again, it's taking those time-tested strategies that you've already been using Again, value, quality, momentum, size, minimum volatility, putting in the ETF vehicle for that lower uh, cost and more tax efficiency. That's it. Hitendra, anything that you would add here? So factors allow uh, investors to take uh, exposure to very specific segments of the market. And as uh, Bob highlighted, the concept of value has been around for a very long time, almost 100 years, selecting stocks that have low valuations versus eliminating those at high valuations is nothing new. But the availability of ETF linked to indexes allow investors to access their exposure at much lower cost than um, they used to, say, 10 or 15 years ago. Okay, so we, we mentioned the value factor here. Let's discuss that in more detail. 
And of course, I think just about everyone knows the story of values challenges over the past uh, decade plus, right? It's been extremely challenging, uh, but that started to change here over the past year or so. And one of the most popular iShares Factor ETFs is the iShares MSCI USA Value Factor ETF, ticker symbol VLUE. Uh, Hitendra, let, let's just continue with you here. Talk about what you're seeing from value this year. What, what, what's changed? I mean, let's take a step back. Uh, global equities have been down uh, 20% uh, or thereabouts in the first half of 2022. Um, and that's the worst six-month start of the year since our records going back to 1975. And what led that drawdown has been a number of risk factors, stubbornly high inflation, geopolitical risk, higher interest rates, quantitative tightening, potential recession, now we're seeing analyst downgrades, and that's all resulted in higher volatility. Now, when we turn to uh, the value versus growth indexes, uh, looking at MSCI USA, uh, value has outperformed growth by the widest margin on record since the 1970s. That performance differential between MSCI USA value versus MSCI USA growth is around a staggering 17.5%. So what's the takeaway here? It really did matter what side investors were positioned on from a factor perspective, whether they were in the value side or the growth side. And you can run similar parallels to other factors as well. I know a lot of advisors and investors are specifically concerned about inflation. Can you talk about value and its ability to, to potentially hedge against inflation? So there's much talked about uh, the lost decade within value. And uh, if we look over 2010 to 2020, we were in a very low uh, uh, structural period of inflation, low growth, low interest rates, and low performance for the value factor. Very different to the previous decade where value performance was very strong. Now, what's changed? I think we've all experienced uh, our bills at home are going up, whether it be energy bills or food bills. Now, that surge in inflation has actually coincided with a turnaround in the performance of value. Rates are now rising, and investors have preferred high-value stocks as opposed to low-value stocks. They've shied away from the high-risk growth stocks and rotated into um, value stocks. Okay, the other specific factor that I, I want to touch on here is minimum volatility. So currently... The most popular factor-based iShares ETF is the MSCI USA MinVol Factor ETF, ticker symbol USMV. And look, as everyone is well aware, markets have been much more volatile this year between the, the Fed and geopolitical events and everything else going on. And, and Bob, I'll ask you, just talk about this MinVol strategy. What is this designed to do and why do you think it can work over the longer term? Yeah, sure. So, so when you think about minimum volatility, what are we trying to achieve with this type of strategy? It's market-like returns with less risk. And to achieve those market-like returns, the, the way that these strategies work is that you know, they tend to outperform on the downside and try to um, uh, you know, capture some of the return or, or a decent amount of the return on the upside, typically about 80% of the upside and about 65% of the downside. And so why I think it's really interesting in this environment is really in a, in a way for investors to stay invested, right? I think one of the, the most important things for an investor to do in times of volatility is stay invested. And so our, our view is that if you're able to reduce the downside, it inv improves investor behavior 
um, quite a bit. And so one study that we did that I think is really interesting for this time, because again, I think uh, I want to reiterate, staying invested is, is the most important part here, is that we looked at the S&P 500 over the last 20 years. And if you invested $100,000 in the S&P 500, you'd be at about $600,000 today. But if you missed the five best trading days over a 20-year period, again, five days, that, that $600,000 is reduced to $390,000, right? If you missed the 10 best days, it's $280,000, right? So, again, I, I think the, the beauty of minimum volatility ETFs is by reducing some of the volatility uh, within the market, you can stay invested in and hopefully generate that market return over the long term. You know, I love your point on investor behavior and staying invested. I always like talking about investor behavior. And, you know, I think with some other factor ETFs, say value ETFs, like we were just discussing, there can obviously be long periods of underperformance where investors have to stomach some really tough times in order to potentially capture the factor premium or benefit over the long run. And that's not always easy, right? Again, value is the perfect example over the past decade plus. Can you expand on investor behavior with minimum volatility? Like, do you find it as an outlier in this regard and that investors go into a minball strategy knowing it's going to be a smoother ride? And so because of that, they're more likely to stick with it over the long run. Like, like in other words, are minball investors better behaved than value investors? <laughs> uh, you know, look, I think there's two types of investors for minimum volatility ETFs. There's the tactical investor and the strategic investor. So the tactical investor is using this vehicle because they see the volatility being driven from inflation, from Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, USMV is outperforming the market by 700 basis points. And they're making that tactical trade. And so those types of assets, I think, uh, aren't sticky because they're not meant to be sticky, right? So that is going to rotate probably from minimum volatility to potentially momentum when trends start to form again. Or, um, you know, value, uh, maybe because they believe in inflation is going to be uh, here for longer. So I think on that front, uh, those aren't sticky assets. But on the other side of that, we do think minimum volatility ETF should be at a core of a portfolio. Right, because again, it can dr drive market-like returns over the long term, and so we have seen a much stickier base on those assets. You know, USMV is, is over 25 billion in assets, and I think the biggest reason why, again, is that upside-downside capture. I kind of talked about it a little bit, but it generates roughly 80% of the upside and about 65% of the downside. Just to put those numbers into perspective, we looked at 1,450 U.S. equity mutual funds. Only six of them. Six out of 1,450 have a downside capture in line with USMV, and none of them have the upside capture, right? So again, I think it's a unique strategy that can sit at the core of a portfolio and has an, an improved investor behavior, to your point. And by the way, I should note that iShares does offer an entire suite of minimum volatility ETFs, including the iShares MSCI EFA MinVol Factor ETF, ticker EFAV, and the iShares MSCI Emerging Markets MinVol Factor ETF, EEMV. There's also a, a, a global version. But on that note, Bob, I'm curious, just more broadly speaking, what are you seeing across your international factor-based ETF lineup right now? Because you do offer international versions for uh, value, say like we were talking earlier, in Minval, quality, momentum. And from my perspective, I do feel like there's been a lot more debate recently about how prudent it is allocating internationally. I, I think a lot of investors are sort of uh, scarred by the massive underperformance of international over the past decade plus. And then you toss in geopolitical events and, and everything else. It's a topic of debate. 
Now, historically, I, I think we all know when we see that type of fear, that usually means it's a pretty good time to look at a particular area, right? But but what are you seeing in terms of investor interest in your uh, international factor ETFs? Yeah, it's funny. We, we've been debating international emerging markets for the last decade. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes the, the market beat can be irrational longer than you stay solvent. And so I think we have seen a big shift in investors thinking about, can we play international emerging markets? Uh, regions a little bit differently, right? And, and I think over the last three years, one of the biggest trends that we've seen in factor investing overall is this move not away from maybe traditional market cap-weighted exposures to things that are a little bit more defensive, right? So if you look at our quality and our minimum volatility ranges in international and emerging markets, they're at roughly $15 billion. And I think the reason why is because if you think about emerging markets, my old mentor used to say, they go up on escalators, but they go down on elevators, right? So it's great when it's great, but when it gets it's bad, uh, we see significant volatility. And so uh, something like EEMV, or Emerging Markets Minimum Volatility ETF, is a way to play emerging markets, get that diversification, but do it with much less downside. Again, in that 65% range on downside over the long term. And so in a year like this year, with emerging markets down uh, almost 20%, EEMV is down, but it's only down about 13%. Right Over the last year, EEMV is down 12% versus the market uh, down 25%. So again, it's, it's a way to play those markets, get that diversification, but do it in a, in a risk-aware way uh, through minimum volatility. Yeah, and again, hopefully help on the investor behavior side as well. Uh, just a couple of minutes left here, as I know you're both well aware there are a lot of factor-based ETFs on the market, and it, it seems like the list grows by the day. I'd love to have you talk about due diligence in this space, because I, I think this is perhaps the biggest challenge for investors, especially investors who haven't pursued factor tilts in the past, and they're looking at this this huge menu of options. Um, Hitendra, what are some key factors, <laughs> no, no pun intended, that investors should consider when evaluating factor-based strategies? Yeah, sure. So I'll try to be brief. So um, when uh, investors are running due diligence on factor-based strategies or indexes, there are a few kind of staple uh, areas of focus. First is, does that uh, index or ETF, LinkedIn index, take exposure to sectors relative to the benchmark? Is it sector neutral or is it actually taking active sector positions? Now, when it comes to value, for example, it makes a significant difference. Uh, in performance, a sector neutral value index would have outperformed one that's non-sector neutral on MSCI World over the last 20 years or so. Second is, uh, how are stocks being selected or tilted based on the target factors? So if we're looking at value, is it simply one descriptor like a price to book or is it multiple descriptors like earnings yield? Uh, enterprise to cash flow from operations, as well as price to book. So is it giving a holistic view of that uh, factor, or is it very um, narrow? Third is the level of exposure. Is it high or low? If it's a high exposure, that means it gives you, for example, value, a lot more value exposure. So when we see big rotations in the market, that's, uh, that's an exposure that could have a high active return. And finally, there are other aspects to consider as well, such as tracking error, turnover, and rebalancing frequency that ensures that the index or product-linked index maintains that 
Excellent words of wisdom. Bob Hitendra, just fantastic insight into factor investing and factor ETFs. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Thanks for having me to be here. Thank you. That was Bob Hum, U.S. Head of Factor ETFs at BlackRock, and Hitendra Varsani, Managing Director of MSCI Solutions Research.